Hi everyone. I'm just going to give this a little rejig. Whoop. Can everyone hear me all right? Hey. All right. So hello. Um, thank you for the introduction. Uh, it's kind of a massive honor to be asked to be here today, considering that this is the first event in uh, what I think is going to be a really wonderful event and a wonderful community of people kind of coming together for the first time. Uh, yeah, I was incredibly humbled to be asked to be here. Um, Stephen gave you guys a little bit of background, but uh, I've been mainly a barista for my entire career. I've been doing coffee for 15 years now. Uh, while I was still in high school, I, I wanted to do it really early on. So yeah, I, I knew what I wanted and I focused on it and here I am. Um, but yeah, I, I actually really didn't want to become a coffee roaster. I was really apprehensive uh, because I thought that if I transitioned into becoming a coffee roaster, it would make me less of a good barista. Because I've seen a lot of people move from the bar to the roastery. And I had kind of thought, the, the connection gets lost. Um, but I'm really, really glad that um, at my last job when I was working as the head roaster for Tim Wendelbo, uh, that he actually got me into roasting because I feel like I, I haven't looked back. It's been just a wonderful, it's been a wonderful little ride. Um, so yeah, I've been doing this for 15 years, uh, originally from Australia, briefly in Paris, now based in Oslo. Um, and yeah, now I've founded my own roastery. Uh, it's myself and my business partner, Jürgen. Uh, and we are probably in the next couple of weeks going to be sending out our first proper roasts, which is really, really exciting for us. Um, the thing was, we started planning this roastery about a year ago and we started putting together the budgets. And I said to Jürgen, I'm really, I really want to make sure that we put away a significant part of the budget uh, to go into research about which machinery we want to invest in. And he was like, oh, well, you know, we have the Diedrich dealers here in Oslo. Uh, wouldn't it be really great if we just purchase from them? Because then it means we have really great support from someone who is local in our area. And I said, well, in theory, that sounds really great, but I don't know very much about this roaster and what it's capable of. And he said, well, aren't all roasters the same? And I said, no, they're not. And he said, how are they different? And I said, I can't answer that question. So this is why we put away a significant amount of money from our opening budget. Everyone knows starting up a roastery, uh, it's pretty hard when you're doing it on a barista salary. Um, but yeah, so we, we got some investors and we also told the investors that we wanted to spend some time investing in, uh, in some money and time invest, investing in checking out different roasters. And they looked at us like we were insane. They were just like, surely it, it can't be that different. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's different or not. Nobody's really gone ahead and asked this question yet. Um, and that's what I found when I started roasting, actually. Uh, often you're taught the way to do things, but you're never really taught why you do things that way. And I feel like once you start digging and you ask questions, it's maybe because we don't have the answers to these questions yet. And people maybe aren't confident to share their opinion because they only do what they're doing because that is what is, is how it's been done before. Uh, so yeah, the, the theory behind Taylor and Jürgen is that we want to be all about community. We want to be about fun and we want to be about learning. Uh, we wanted to do this and we didn't want to keep this to ourselves because the thing that happened is we ended up doing 
six production roasts on four different roasters uh, and we ended up with 240 kilos of coffee left over. And I was like, what can we do with all this coffee? So we decided to, rather than keep these findings to ourselves, um, package them all in 35 gram sample bags uh, and send them to the people who wanted to be part of our research. Uh, so 215 people signed up. Um, I was really scared when that happened because that meant that we would have to pack 5,000 individual samples, just the two of us. Um, but we ended up sending them out to 95 people. So that was uh, 2,300 hand-packed samples of all of these coffees that we roasted. All right, so that's the roaster test. And uh, firstly, it was born out of the idea that we were going to discover the right machine to install in our roastery. Um, but there was a secondary thing as well. Uh, I saw Martin Weisinger from Cropster speak at RICO in Dublin this year, and he was talking about using Cropster to map your roasts and use the curves to achieve certain flavours within your roast profiles. And he and I sat, sat together afterwards and I said, have, have you guys done any research into if you do specific things, you can get specific results? And he said, no. And I said, well, it's definitely possible though, right? And he said, yeah, it's absolutely possible. Uh, so I thought that this might be a really good opportunity to see if there were any correlations between uh, the curve inside of a profile and the flavor that it creates. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a two-pronged exercise research project. Uh, You'll see uh, towards the end of my speech that we weren't able to kind of tick both of those boxes. Uh, we found some information, but it's not necessarily going to come out with a specific answer. Although uh, Joanna and Andy, I think I'm maybe going to cover this topic maybe tomorrow. So yeah, we might have some answers after that. Um, so I just want to give a quick disclaimer. I'm not a scientist, I'm just a coffee roaster. Um, I'm not being paid by anyone. None of the companies are paying me uh, to do this work. It's completely done on our own money. Um, also, my opinions are my own. Uh, and I have some, I always have some pretty strong opinions. <laughs> uh, but the, the results of the tests are restricted to the models that we tested the, the coffees on. So it's, it's not a broad brush stroke. It's just these specific ones in these specific conditions. Uh, so yeah, it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Uh, so what I want to actually do now is I want to talk to you guys because you guys are a room of my peers that I respect a lot and I want to talk to you a little bit about why you chose the roaster that you chose. Uh, so is anyone able to give a little bit of insight as to the kind of machinery they invested in? Maybe there's a... Is there a spare microphone that we can use? Or maybe Steve? Yeah. So why I invested in the equipment that I invested yeah. in. So I started off with um, the US Ambex machines. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not many people do. They're very good at setting a light. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I learned fairly early on how to deal with fires. Um, Firemen. Yeah, and, and luckily when the one set a light, I actually had insurance. So I went, the, I said to the insurance, I don't really want to buy another one of these. Can I buy something else? And they said, yeah, we've looked at the market and you're allowed to buy a ProBat. So my insurance company really ah, um, made my decision of ProBat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and since then we've bought other roasters and kind of pro 
know, about fit what we were doing and so kind our of like roast the reliability oil. of the machinery to not set on fire. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, to be honest, is quite an important. Uh, <laughs> it's quite important to me that I don't burn down my business. Um, Fair enough. So, um, but no, I mean, also, you know, the reliability of parts and 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 things like that. So that was a lot of the choice, the reason why we ended up down that way. And it was also I pushed them in a certain direction too. Yeah. And is there anyone else that has a differing opinion from of that from that? What's that? <laughs> oh, Ben. <laughs> Very rude. <laughs> it's nice to know you've got friends. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to go straight ahead then and I'm going to talk a little bit about misconceptions uh, because I feel like in the coffee industry, a lot of what we know is based on what we think we know rather than actual facts and knowledge and learning. Uh, so for me... Uh, I'm going to go through a little bit about uh, what my misconceptions were, but I also want to throw it to you guys. And I want to say, you know, what were some misconceptions that made you invest in a roaster? What was uh, some, a misconception that you might have had uh, to avoid a model? I mean, something that I hear quite often is that Lorings have a taste to them. They have a flavor. They have this, this dryness. Uh, and I mean, we're going to taste these coffees after, so you can decide for yourself. But... I feel like it's potentially unfounded. Um, but yeah, I'd never done any comparative cuppings uh, which had proven this theory to be right. So has anyone, I mean, I know that it's, it might not be a little scary to talk about this in this room, but I feel like we're community, we're all friends. We can speak up and share our opinions. Anyone? Yeah. making me walk that's all it is <laughs> thanks um yeah i agree with you on the loring thing i've done some comparative cuppings um having had a loring at one one stage and i've never even people who say they can pick up loring taste have never been able to pick it up blind on the on the uh, on the table yep. the other thing i would say is that a lot of people have misconceptions about like how the machines actually work mm -hmm. and that you can't apply the same approaches to different machines, particularly something with a, like a lowering, which is a totally different design. Yep. The heat exchange is completely different. So, um, yeah. And Patrick, did you want to say something as well? Well, lowerings are awesome <laughs> to begin with. And I've <laughs> I roasted on a lot of different machines and, and uh, they're super clean. Uh, secondly, and, and more importantly, I have this, uh, I have a bit of free time these days and I spend that time mainly roasting on what we refer to as big machines, which would be probably above 30 kilos, yeah. like 60 and up. And I get a lot of people in our circles looking at the, the big machines as being bad machines, which is probably the biggest misconceptions ever. And most of the time, the people that pitches that are not even people that actually roasted on a larger scale machine. So uh, like, the bigger the machine, the more the control the more you can do with it. So normally a machine in the range of 25 plus is gonna outperform any small machine that you're ever gonna roast on. And why, why is that? Have you found any reasons why that is? I'm just curious. Well, all uh, roasting brands have uh, <laughs> differs uh, a bit differently depending on the smaller versions and the big versions. Yeah. Um, but mainly what happens, like Deidre's is a good example. When you go up in size, you have more flexibility in 
uh, airflow variables, uh, gas distribution, and so on as well. Yeah. And all of the brands have kind of similar deals with that as well. So the bigger, the better, to yeah. some extent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that should definitely play into uh, your decision when you're opening a roastery. I mean, for us, we were kind of limited in the size that we have in our space because we only have 45 square meters in, in where we're moving into. So that size also plays a factor into that. Although I wish I had a bigger roaster because for me, that just means less time standing by the roaster and more consistent roasts for my customers. So, um, Taylor, I can be brave if you like, and I I'll can give a count of you. And what? So I'm going to agree and disagree with Patrick. Yeah, do it. So I, I disagree about the lorings. I, I feel like that I, it does lack the body that I've seen in other roasters and from yep. experiments on blind tables. I'm, I'm going to disagree. But I'm also going to agree about the, the size and the bean mass makes a real difference on temperature stability um, in the roasters. And those bigger roasters tend to have thicker drums, which again, more heat stability heat and yep. heat retention yep. and things. So, But yeah, the lorring, I, I like them as machines, but I do think they have a specific flavor profile to them compared to the traditional drum style roaster. I think uh, pretty much where we're at as an industry right now uh, is because we uh, we don't make a ton of money as small specialty roasters. I think we could all agree on that. Uh, so we don't have the money to be able to go around and, and do extensive testing. So we rely quite heavily on the people that are selling the equipment uh, to teach us about its functions and how good it is. So that's why I think uh, we're, uh, no... I'm not throwing any shit at salespeople at all, but uh, I just feel like independent testing uh, is pretty important. So I uh, asked the guys on the Roasters Forum on Facebook, uh, what are some of the reasons why, oh, you can't really see that on the screen. Uh, what are some of the reasons why you invest, would invest in a roaster? Um, and they said reputation, cost, the location of the dealership and the support that they can get. Uh, the reason why I wanted to buy my roaster was about 35% on taste. Uh, the rest shared between usability and the technology, uh, the location of the dealership, of course, and the support that I could get, uh, and also the cost of it because we are a startup. So there's that. So based on all of this stuff, I had this hypothesis that I was really going to love the ProBat because this is what I'd learned to roast on and I had this very nostalgic connection to this machine. Uh, so I thought that I would just be proved that that is the roaster for me and that's what I was gonna buy. Um, I, I had some other misconceptions about what the, how the other roasters would perform and I was actually really, I'm really happy to say that I was all, everything that I thought was proved completely wrong. Um, so, just to give a quick overview of the factors that had to factor into this. Um, as I'm sure all of you know, uh, it's pretty much impossible to replicate anything uh, perfectly, especially across different machines in different environments. Um, so, this is the things, these are the things that I had to think about. So, I had to think about the probe placement and the thickness. Uh, and, and how Cropster was giving readouts from these particular machines. It, I also had to think about how many probes the machine had. Some had only one, some had three. Um, I had to think about the flame restrictions uh, and also the kinds of gas bottles that they were using that were connected to these machines. Um, some of the flame, the flame dials, you could have 100% uh, control. Some of them were three-step. Uh, it was pretty challenging, I'm not gonna lie. Um, so the differences 
in the different models to be able to manipulate airflow. Some of them had a lot of airflow manipulation, some had zero. Uh, and the piping that went into the machine, of course, that's going to influence a difference as well. You also had to think about the speed of the cooling tray, the speed and the efficiency of the cooling tray, uh, the drum speed. Uh, I didn't mess with that because I didn't even know where to begin with that, just with six roasts only. Um, I also had to think about the thickness of the wall of the roasters because some of them had very impenetrable walls and I couldn't even hear the beginning of first crack. Um, also, when we sent these samples out, there were other factors that played in as well, like the composition of people's water, the protocol that they used when they cupped, um, their personal cupping ability. We had some people that were cup tasters champions. We had some people that were home baristas, a very wide array of uh, qualifications in tasting. Also the vocabulary and the cultural differences, um, people's training and professional history. Um, I did reach out to Morton at Coffee Mine to see if it was possible to get a sensory panel to assess these roasts to see if we could pull out any like really statistically um, correct data, um, but those guys were busy at the time. So that's a shame, but uh, it was, that was the idea in the beginning. So the method was, I'm going to have to move through this pretty quickly because we have a cupping for you guys to do. Um, so we were going to travel to four different roasteries, going to do six roasts per roaster. Uh, we're going to take the advice of the person who actually uses that machine, uh, give us insight into the ways that they get the best out of it. Uh, and also push the boundaries outside of their expectations about how to use the machine. Uh, I was trying to keep the colour on par. That was the thing that was going to be my stable because I feel like if you manage to get the colour within one point of each other, it's pretty Comparatively, I really like to cup that way because it gives me a pretty good idea about what's going on in the roast. Um, so we did have a little bit of a wider spread on colour than I was hoping, but that was because I didn't have access to a colour meter during the entire week. So I did it all by eye and then we checked them about a week after we'd finished roasting. Uh, so, and I was also using Cropster to log and compare. Um, after this, Hannah is going to send everyone here an email with a a copy of every single profile that we roasted. So you can taste the cupping samples and then you can also take a look at the actual profile itself. Uh, so the coffee, uh, we were lucky enough to get this really beautiful Kenyan Thinguri from co uh, Collaborative Coffee Source in Oslo. Uh, the reason why I wanted to choose this coffee is because one, Kenyan coffees are really delicious in my opinion. Uh, I really love roasting them as well. I feel like it's very easy and transparent to see how roast affects these kinds of coffees. Um, it has a really nice consistency and density. They also vacuum seal and, and they're very nice, comfortable things to carry because we were going to be doing a lot of traveling. Uh, and the acidity and the sweetness is very simple to manipulate. You can get a lot of different things on the spectrum of taste. Um, so yeah, it's an 88 point Kenyan coffee. Uh, sourced through Dormans, uh, and it's from a community of about a thousand smallholders. Um, yeah. So this is what we did. We did all of this in four days. We spent one day where there was 20 hours in the car, uh, and then another day where we did 16 hours in the car. Um, so all assigned to Copenhagen, and then another two days in Oslo. So that was challenging. I don't have my Norwegian driver's license, so that was all my business partner. Uh, poor guy. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So the first, the first tests that we did were at the, the factory in Copenhagen on the Loring. Uh, it was an S15 Falcon that we used. Uh, and I'm just going to go briefly through the things that I loved about this machine and then some things that I didn't like so much. Um, so the Loring is incredibly temperature stable. Uh, the machine works for you rather than you working for the machine. You can set it to idle when you're not using it, uh, which I think as someone who's only ever worked on a ProBat and when it's on, you've got to work. Um, so that for me was like a real plus. Um, the cooling tray is super fast. I've never seen a cooling tray cool coffee as fast as a Loring. No one's ever proved whether cooling the coffee quickly is a good thing, but that was just something that I found that it was a very fast cooling tray. Um, the accessories that come with it are great. Uh, I mean, you were talking about ergonomics. I never had to lift a thing uh, when using the Loring, and I loved it. Because um, I'm strong, but I don't want to do that all the time. So uh, The other thing that I also loved was the automatic logging. Uh, when you made a change, it automatically logged it for you. There's no kind of standing on the computer, typing things in. If you miss something, then you know it's lost forever. It's great. Uh, so the things I didn't like so much, the display was a little, um, what's the word, like just tricky to use. It wasn't very reactive when you touched it. I, I ended up like double clicking a couple of times and, and really threw myself off. Um, the trier is very, I'm sure you get used to using the trier, but for me the trier was very small and stubby and I, and I ended up getting green kind of stuck in between the trier when I pulled it out and I couldn't get back in the machine. It was a little frustrating. Um, the other thing that's not so, so great in my opinion is that flame is directly tied to airflow um, and I like to be able to manipulate as much as possible and I feel like it, with both of those things side by side it's a little hard to be um, as creative as I wanted to be. Also I had a really hard time listening to, th to first crack because you have to be watching the coffee physically pop in the trier rather than hear it. I know some people have tried to use stethoscopes but apparently that doesn't work so well either. So I guess it's just learning how to use the machine to get the best out of it. Um, the second day was uh, the Diedrich at Nord in Oslo. Um, this was a little bit of a bigger roaster. It wasn't the same size as the other roasters that we used, but uh, I've heard that this machine is really great to be able to allow for a great array of batch sizes. Um, so we consistently did 10 kilo batches across all of the tests. Things I loved about it, it's a beautiful machine. It's designed really, really well. Um, the accessories are also incredibly functional, share the same kind of, uh, you don't have to load, kind of like you, you don't have to load with the, the lowering. Um, the airflow and gas control is very easy to use. It's very intuitive as well, and you have free control of both of those two variables. Um, I found it to be very intuitive and very reactive. Um, the there is a couple of things that I kind of struggle with on this machine. Um, this is, wait, this is something that happened that I cannot explain. Um, so you can see at the end of the roast there is when we were emptying the cooling tray. Um, and we had the loader on at the same time that the de-stoner and cooling tray was on. Um, and you can see in the exhaust temperature uh, that it dropped really suddenly and really scarily. Uh, and for me, I always follow the exhaust temperature because I feel like it's the most reactive. Um, whilst both of them are important, for me that's the most immediate cue of what's going on in the machine. 
I can't explain this. So basically what we ended up having to do was just scoop out the cooling tray by hand uh, because when we turned on the destoner and the loader at the same time, it sucked all of this energy and temperature out of the roaster. Um, the guys at Nord don't actually use their in, uh, the exhaust temperature probe. They've never actually turned it on before, before I came. And I'm a little worried that this has maybe been happening in their roasts without them knowing because they weren't using this probe. Um, I think someone from Diedrich is here. I think maybe anyone. Uh, but I would love to talk to someone who knows why this may have happened because uh, it was a, it was a little frustrating because we only had six roasts and I wouldn't have put the two samples that this happened to in the in the study had had I been able to uh, have more coffee and you know, get some, get some answers as to why it was happening. So yeah, that's something that happened that I should be aware of. Uh, also with the de-stoner and that one, it allowed some uh, like coffee bean sized stones to get through the de-stoner, which I think defeats the purpose of a de-stoner. But um, the next one was what I thought was gonna be my favorite roaster, um, the Probat UG15 at Kaffa in Oslo. Uh, what I love about it is that uh, it's very romantic for me because it's the, the machine I learned to roast on. So uh, I feel like there's this love affair in the specialty industry with refurbished probats and that's the reason why I included this. It is, it is very old technology, but there are people who say that it's the best way to get to roast coffee. So that's kind of why I wanted to include it in the study. Um, once you heat the drum on a, on a probat, it also has really great ambient temperature. It can really carry you through your next roasts. Um, it's very manual, I really love the manual feeling of it. You can really see and feel and hear everything that's going on when you're using this machine. Um, I also really love using the trier from this machine, but it's probably just because I'm used to using it. Um, the things that I don't like about the probat, it's really vulnerable to the environment. Uh, like. Between summer and winter in Oslo, it's an absolute nightmare to change your profiles over because the weather is so different and it affects everything that you're doing. Uh, it also had a three-step flame, which was 30, it was either off, 30, 60, or 100. And that was really frustrating for me because it made me feel like I had no control whatsoever. Um, also, you couldn't manipulate the airflow at all on this machine. The last roaster was the Giesen W15 at Yaku in Olesund. Um, I'd never even touched a Giesen before I came here. Um, I really, really liked the software that came along with this machine. Uh, it made roasting from a set profile a total breeze. That's how they use it at Yaku, and it's actually amazing. It's, you don't even have to think about it when you're roasting. It's really repeatable. Um, the things that I didn't like so much about this machine is that the burner set sits over the cooling tray so that when you're cooling, it takes around about 12 minutes to finish cooling a batch after you've, been, after you've dropped it into the cooling tray. Um, also, when you try to manipulate the airflow in the drum, it's also the airflow that manipulates in the cooling tray. Uh, so it's a little frustrating, and I feel like you could kind of taste that in the resulting coffee, because the coffee stayed so hot for so long. Um, so what we did after we sent out these samples uh, is that we got uh, people to fill out some cupping, re uh, cupping response form. 84 people ended up filling this out, which is a 
we sent out 95 and 84 people filled it out. Like that's a crazy high response rate. I feel really lucky that we, we got this amount of data. Um, and the results. So we, there was a tiny little bit of bias. There were five people or maybe a couple more that managed to work out which roaster was which by looking at my Instagram feed. Uh, and the, the reason why I didn't want people to know is because I didn't want to introduce any bias. Um, but there's nothing that I could do about that. So it's, it's not a scientifically perfect study. Um, what we also found, I actually got a, f a friend of mine from Australia, um, Monica Fetke from the Australian science, coffee science lab, um, to analyze the data that came out of this research. And she found that there was actually no statistical significance um, found in the cupping responses. She said it was almost as if it, it was just a random sample. Uh, and the thing is, the thing that I think we can attribute to that is the varying degrees of cupping experience, um, the water, uh, what else? The different cupping protocol, uh, the different words for different flavors that people use. Um, the only, the only piece of data that we were able to extract from it is that people are really good at picking up roast level. People were quite good at identifying the roast level in the coffee. Um, so yeah, the things, in, con in conclusion, uh, the things that I found was that the lack of statistical significance is indicative of two things. Um, the first thing is that taste is entirely, tasting coffee is entirely subjective. Uh, so people found different things that they liked in different coffees. And I think that that's a pretty good representation of our industry. There's not one way to roast coffee and make it taste delicious. Um, and I think it's also another reason why we should kind of collaborate and share a little bit more as an industry because we're not, we're not all heading towards the same target. All the targets are different, but there is a lot for us to learn when we collaborate and share together. Um, so yeah, there was a, a really enormous spread in preference when it came to all of the coffees. Um, it means that we're never gonna create a monoculture, even if we're sharing profiles and talking about the way that we roast. Um, I also found that the, the other significant thing that I found is that I think cupping might be an unreliable way for us to find conclusions about qualitative uh, data in coffee. I feel like unless we are all calibrated, it's kind of a pointless exercise, unless you're doing it for quality control within your own business. Um, I think that without a way for us to, sh to communicate flavor together as an industry, I feel like we're gonna continue to be stunted. Um, and I think that at the moment, there's two really great coffee roasting books that I know about, uh, Scott Rayo and Rob Hoos. The thing is, is that all knowledge and learning can't come from just a handful of, like a handful of people. Um, with equipment like Cropster that can collect data, it just gives, gives us this great opportunity to uh, data source from a really large group of people and collaborate with all of that data um, to do like group learning uh, to make real change. Um, I think that for the greater good of everybody, when we start communicating and, and uh, collaborating as an industry, I think we're gonna see leaps and bounds in the way that we roast and the way that we communicate. Um, so yeah, I think 
that's pretty much it. You guys are going to be able to cup these samples that we roasted. There's going to be two flights of 12. Uh, and what I'm going to ask you guys to do is if we have a, I don't know where it's going to be, but there's going to be a question as which cup you like the most, which cup you like the least, and why? Super duper simple. I can help with that. You yeah. need to go onto Slido. Yeah. And the questions are on Slido. They've been telling you to go on the whole time. Yeah. Um, and uh, you'll be able to select your favourite, select the least favourite. We've got, as you say, 24 cups yeah. in two sets of 12. Yeah. Um, we need two people on each table to kind of take control of the table as like volunteers for leading the group. Um, then the volunteers will bring the water to the table. Um, and then the two volunteers responsible for the cupping protocol thereafter. Um, when you're done as a group, uh, please empty the bowls into the buckets using the sieve. Uh, and then we'll bring out the second round of cups and more water. Uh, but we need to move fast because we've obviously got all of this to go through and still more for the afternoon. And um, The only thing that I'm going to come back after we do the cupping is that we're going to look at the results of what you guys have said. Uh, and just see if we can uh, make any conclusions about the way that you feel about the coffees. Just bear in mind, I roasted these in the last week of August, so they are a little bit off roast, but I thought it was better to have them here or not than not have them at all. Um, I just want to say just a quick last thing. I just want to say thank you to everybody who helped me out with this. It was an enormous amount of work. I think it was 300 hours in two, one and a half weeks. It was just absolute madness. Um, Jürgen, my business partner, was completely unreal for doing all of that driving. The guys from Cropster gave amazing technical support. I was on the phone to them so much. <laughs> I feel really bad for how much I annoyed them during this week. Um, but all of the guys that allowed us into their roasteries and allowed us to fool around with their machinery, I just really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, let's go have a cupping, guys. <laughs> So we're going to set up the, um, we're trying to set up the Slido for, for, the, um, uh, for the results from the cupping. Um, I want to take this opportunity to see if anybody's got any questions um, to ask while we're doing that um, about what you went through with uh, selecting the roaster and things. I have got one question for you while they're thinking about it. For your packaging, what, how did you decide the hair colour that you were going to have on the, the packaging? Oh my God, that was the hardest decision. <laughs> we were thinking of like leaving it blank so you could like colour your own. Cause, that would uh, be fantastic. Yeah, but the whole, the whole idea behind the packaging is, is I'm, I'm the queen of indecision. I cannot make a choice to save my life. So the thing that we're going to do is we're going to invite um, different um, graphic designers and illustrators to actually get inspired by our packaging and reinvent it. So the shape stays the same, the labels stay the same, the logo stays the same, but the entire packaging will be reevaluated every time we go through a, a set of packaging. We want it to be kind of like collector's editions, kind of like, yeah, yeah, just it, you get this packaging for this limited time only, sort of. And, and does the cat have a name? Yeah, the cat's my cat. It's Sid. Sid. Yeah. Sid who ran off while you were on holiday, That's but he's now it. back. He's a little shit. Um, right, <laughs> then we've got some results. So we should really talk coffee instead of cats because <laughs> I can talk cats forever. So this, these were the cups that they liked best. Now, do you have the, the data for these? I do, I do. So um, the most amazing thing is that this cup, 04, was the first roast that I did of this coffee on the first roaster. 
and it has just shone every single time I've cupped these coffees. And it, and I mean, this was the cup that went, okay, this solidifies it for me. This is the kinds of coffees that I want to be roasting. Uh, so this was roasted on the, the Loring. It is, uh, the color of the coffee is 49.83 on the color track, if that's relevant to anybody. Um, it's got a development time of like 110. It's got a moisture loss of about 10.5%. No, yeah, 10.5%. Um, and it was a total roast time of 8.50 on the on the Loring. All of these profiles are public. You would have gotten them in an email from Hannah. Um, but yeah, this is the one that swung it for me because somebody asked on Slido, what roaster are we gonna buy? We're gonna buy a Loring. Um, it's the most technically advanced roaster that's on the market. I really love the work that Michael and Jens do at the factory. I really, I have a, a great relationship with them and they're very supportive of us and have been from the beginning. Um, and I just think that the the fact that it's really low on the environmental emissions as well is, is also great. It's also smaller for a larger capacity than most roasters. So that works very well in our small roastery as well. So yeah, we decided on the Loring. And then number six, just for, for interest, we should look number at the second place one. Number six was also Loring as well. Um, yeah, so four and six are both from the Loring. 21 and 28 is, uh, 21 is Probat, 28 is Giesen. So it's a pretty good spread. I thought the Dietrich actually cupped really well as well. I don't think it's aged as gracefully as the other coffees. Um, the Probat and the Giesen cupped really poorly in the beginning, but they've, as, as the samples have aged, they've improved. Um, and it's been the opposite for Dietrich and Loring's really held its own f throughout the whole seven weeks since the roast. Um, do we want to take a look at how, the... How did these correlate with the results that you got from the people you sent them out to? I mean, is there a correlation here? The thing it, that's the thing. It, there was the statistical... Um, there was no statistical significance in any of the tasters' feedback. I mean, I could um, select the names of the people who I know who have taste qualifiers, maybe I'll do that and, and see what kind of data I can pick up from that. Um, but but there was no clear leader like you've got here, you've yeah, got 23% like against nine. It was like a random sample, actually. Yeah, that's, that's what it looked like. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that was. And I think had I had the opportunity again, I'd probably get a trained panel of tasters. Um, but I mean, yeah. There's nothing I could do. Shall we go to the word cloud of the uh, PRO4? I love the word word cloud. It's great. That sounds like a Kenyan coffee. Sweet and juicy. Clean. Yeah. Yeah, for me, the, the acidity was really well integrated in this coffee, and it was very sweet. Um, it had a nice crisp finish. Um, that's kind of what I look for in a really nice Kenyan coffee. So, um, And the cups that you didn't like. Um, this seems a little bit closer, so yeah. this doesn't seem quite as clear a clear winner. So um, the Probat, Probat was the PR20, uh, 26 was Giesen, um, 9 was Loring, and 11 was Dietrich. So yeah, there's one of each. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that being said, I did put push the limits of, of each of the roasters. So there there is a spread. It's I wasn't looking for a perfect roast. I was looking at the at, at where I could push them to to get quality or to get something terrible. So um, just to quickly run them down for you. So 20 is a really light roast. It's 46.5, which is super light, really under, underdeveloped. Um, it was a very quick roast. 
Um, I think I hit it really hard with a lot of heat right from the beginning and it was just um, a little overdeveloped on the outside and quite underdeveloped on the inside. Um, so it made for a really unbalanced cup. Um, yeah, so that wasn't great. Um, 26. Um, that fell in with the range of where it should be. It was uh, The color of it was 49.8. Um, it has a development time of one minute, 10 seconds. So it's, it's pretty much identical in numbers to the one that you guys liked the most. Um, but you guys liked it the least. So that's super interesting. Um, and then I'll just go into nine as well. Um, so this one was 50.3 in the color from Color Track. Um, that was also a really similar time to the first coffee that you guys really liked. Um, it was also the same development time as well, only three seconds off. Um, so yeah, pretty fascinating that one of the worst cups and one of the best cups was from the same roaster with very similar numbers. Um, Does that yeah. just go to prove we don't know anything? The thing is, the thing is, there are so many questions that are still left to be answered. And the thing is, is that they don't have to come from someone who is a qualified source. They can come from all of us. And that's the beauty of having software like Cropster is that everyone can have a conversation about this and have input into this conversation because everyone's opinion is relevant because we're all doing the same work whether someone is more well known for it than someone else like the only reason that I'm standing up here is because I was the one who was like you know what I'm going to do this crazy project and see how it goes um, but yeah I think there's a lot of power that we have as an industry that we really need to use this uh, technology to harness um, I, I just want to ask you one last question before we wrap up because yeah. um, do you think that the, the fact that the consumer base that you were sending out to sent you a very mixed result yeah. and this as a very industry focused like we're looking for something different to what our consumers could maybe look be looking for yeah do you think that's a problem when we are we could be roasting for ourselves when we're actually not roasting for our customers yes uh the whole foundation of my business is that I want to step away from the, just the coffees that I like to drink. So I like to drink Kenyan coffees. I like to drink like clean and juicy and, and acidic and, and wild and um, kind of challenging coffees. But I want to roast and make coffees that I can give to my parents and that they could drink and be really happy to drink them. I want them to drink them and say, that's really yummy other than otherwise, like I've heard them say, oh, that's weird. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, but yeah, there's this big section of the specialty market of people who really like drinking coffee but feel a little alienated from the types of coffees that we tend to prefer as, a spe as the specialty industry. Um, and yeah, I really look forward to the challenge as a roaster, challenging my own palate and my own taste preferences to find coffees that are a little less threatening. <laughs> Um, I think very few of us start loving Kenya coffees from the very beginning. A yeah. lot of us are introduced from coffee through something very different. And those gateway coffees can be super important yeah. um, to bring our customers along with us instead of... And also uh, to support producers that aren't necessarily producing those types of coffees that you find in Kenya. I mean, there might be a producer who has their heart in the right place but doesn't have the infrastructure to be creating really great coffee. And we need to... It's, it's almost the cornerstone of our industry to want to support those people, to be able to m increase their, their, the quality of their coffee. And they need to be financially supported to get there. So, yeah. Yet again, another fantastic presentation. Super Thanks well done, please. Thanks for having me. Taylor. <laughs>